I was about to say, um, we're getting used to this now, but I'm not. Hello and welcome to Refigure with me, Chris. And me, Reefa. How are you doing, Reefa? Very well, thank you. What's on the agenda today? This is our weekly audio series of our highlights of culture for the week. Excellent. But first, postbag. Postbag. We called it mailbag last week, though. No, we didn't. We called it postbag. Oh, okay. It's, po- <laughs> it's postbag then. Joe Brett got in touch. Hello, Joe. Thank you very much for listening. I can't remember what he said. Did he say something special in particular? He says that we're keeping him cheerful and motivated while he works from home, which is really nice. Do you know what he does for a living? Quick plug. This is not a paid for plug. Just, he's amazing. Joe Brett is half of Brett and Bailey, the Crystal Palace cake makers, the best cake makers in London, pretty much, doing delicious cakes and also kind of uh, jams and things as well. Donuts and buns and things. And they are incredible. If you can follow them on Instagram, they're Brett and Bailey on Insta. It's cake porn. Mm. And we had their Christmas pudding last year. They also do lots of the Saturday markets and stuff around the Crystal Palace area. Who else has been in touch? Well, you can mention Rosalie. Oh, what happened with Rosalie? I don't know. She said a really nice message. What did she say? I didn't see it. I can't remember where it was. Maybe Instagram. Oh, it's on Twitter. Hang on, hang on, hang on. So Rosalie, one of our friends, has been wishing for a Chris and Reefer podcast. And she said something nice on Twitter. So thank you very much, Rosalie. And finally, a big shout out to Professor Johnny Lamb. I don't think he's actually a professor. Down at Falmouth University. Who particularly liked you on art. And that was even before he'd heard last week's episode that we taped completely from the Tate Gallery. So hopefully he'll have got really even more into that. So that's yet another person who singled out your features for praise, Reefer. No one yet has singled out I me. think you're good, Chris. I just have, like, sides this time. I don't have a main course. Before we do, That's cool. <laughs> you should say that again because I interrupted you. What's the thing about music? Um, I was an armchair Reading Festival goer this weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been some time since I've been to the Reading Festival. I had to look it up. Uh, the last one that we went to was 2005, and that was the reunion of Pixies. At the time before that was 2002 for the Foo Fighters. I seem to remember standing in a field getting absolutely rained on. My memory can barely go back to 2005, let alone 2002. But the one I do remember, weirdly, is 1990 when I went for the day to see Pixies. First time they came to the UK. Well, actually, it wasn't the first time because I'd seen them in October of 1989, wow. in fact, I think. Anyway, this Reading Festival was unrecognisable. They got loads of shit, the uh, organisers, the year before because it was too many people that looked the same in their lineup. And I think about two women in any of the bands. Maybe even that's an exaggeration. So this year it was, well, from what I saw on the BBC, there were more women on the bill and certainly a bit more range of music. But it was a very different kind of Reading Festival. What it felt to me was that when we watched on different stages, different kinds of acts, 
it felt a bit like field day in London where it's almost like there's two different festivals going on. There's the dance stuff going on or the more kind of not rock music happening in one festival with a completely different crowd of people. And then on the other stage, it's the rock people. On the rock side of things, I really enjoyed Wolf Alice's set. Um, she does a bit in the middle where it feels like sort of Dreamwife and Iggy Pop style, but her voice is incredible. Wolf Alice is a great band. Uh, Shame was new to me. I really enjoyed that as well. It was great to see our mate Emma Hogan down the front as well <laughs> on the BBC. Screen grab of that. If you'd like to check out my Instagram, Reefa at Reefa R-A-F-A, you'll see her on there. But my favourite thing, which was completely new to me, was um, Brockhampton from Texas. I think they're a six-piece rap outfit. They call themselves the best boy band in the world. They've been around for a while with notes of... Eminem and Outcast Parliament even and they look a motley crew um, it totally makes sense because when you meet a bunch of friends who met off the internet they do look a bit odd and some of them they met off a Kanye West um, fan board anyway check them out they are hilarious and or apathy rap I reckon that's what it was apathy rap <laughs> have you tweeted it you should tweet apathy rap with reference to Brockhampton, maybe doing they'll it pick now. it up. I'm doing it now. You want to beat anyone else? I was going to. What are you going to say? It what? was. <laughs> <laughs> One thing was how small some of the audiences were for some of the old-fashioned white boy playing guitar-type bands, especially early in the billing, and especially on Sunday once it started pissing down. And I'm particularly thinking of Shame. I thought Shame were absolutely superb on that stage. They're brilliant. Came right through the telly how great that performance was. And it looked like they were playing to a couple of thousand people at most. Whereas a band like Brockhampton, who we'd not heard of before we watched them, they were on the second stage, they already had a massive rammed tent full of people who knew the words, didn't they? I'm just glad that I was in the dry and watching it in my pyjamas when everyone looked like... They're dedicated music fans. I'm really impressed by people getting out in the morning to um, hang out. There was another band. Uh, was that Shame with the... With, uh, yeah. Sorry. Do you think we'll ever go to Reading again? Seriously. You and me. I don't think so. I used to love Reading. Um, I really can't see it happening ever. I'm not really a festival person. I can't do tents. And that was when I was 20 and I can't do them now. So. The other thing was we were watching live on the internet BBC feed and there was a rapper called Lil Pump. Lil Pump, right? Great name for a rapper, <laughs> Little Pump. And so he was doing his set and it was supposed to be the whole set live and we were watching live on the internet. And then he dived into the crowd, like fine, that's stage diving. And then people were jumping around and grabbing at him and somebody threw water on him. And he got so fucked off immediately and he swore using the homophobic word that begins with F and he used it twice and you said they're not going to stand for that and I was like mm, what's going to happen now and literally they cut the feed they really did didn't they I'm actually quite surprised that there was quite a lot of M F words and F words and N words throughout all the set I mean there was a lot of stuff that the BBC let through but anyway let's not dwell on that We do one big thing each, don't we? Okay, go on. What's your big thing? Uh, this week, I wanted to talk about two audio series that I've been listening to. I'm a bit bored of the word podcast, and both these series are full production audio series. They'd be perfectly at home 
on conventional radio, but they exist as podcasts. And it's part of this whole thing in my head that blurs the whole idea of what is radio and what is a podcast. So the first one I got really into this week was the second series of Slow Burn, which is an American history series from Slate magazine, hosted by Leon Neckfer. Now the first season, which was at the beginning of this year, was week by week recounting of Richard Nixon's Watergate scandal. And they had loads of the surviving major players in that scandal interviewed. And it was also beautifully reported and beautifully produced. It brought out a whole load of stuff of how that scandal would have unfolded at the time. Because when we think about Watergate now, we know what happened. And it's actually very difficult to put our minds back in a position of the scandal unfolding and evidence, more and more evidence gradually coming to light. But Richard Nixon still being the president and still talking about it as though he hasn't done anything wrong. And of course, the elephant in the room is Trump and the Mueller investigation. And that series was also hugely acclaimed in the States. And it was a very successful piece of podcasting or audio journalism or whatever. But anyway, the new series of Slow Burn, series two, is about the Monica Lewinsky scandal with Bill Clinton. And they've jumped back in quite soon. Like they only finished the Richard Nixon stuff maybe five months ago or four months ago or something. And already they've let back in season two with a very different kind of scandal, even though it's it's basically a president who's done something wrong. For a start, many people around the Monica Lewinsky scandal are still alive. So Monica Lewinsky was an intern at the White House who had an affair with Bill Clinton. She's still alive and the Clintons are still alive and lots of people around it. Linda Tripp, who famously was her friend, who kind of betrayed her by recording her conversations and getting the evidence. All of that stuff is far fresher than the Richard Nixon thing. As a result, obviously, they haven't got the interviews with the key players. I wonder if when they first decided to do the Lewinsky scandal, they were hoping maybe because they're going to be quite sympathetic to Monica Lewinsky, I imagine they might have thought they'd get an interview with her, but she's not talking to them. Obviously, the Clintons aren't talking to them. Also, there's this really uncomfortable way in which people who were very progressive, for example, feminists at the time and liberals at the time, really slammed Monica Lewinsky herself. And she was a very young woman. And she actually, after the fact of what happened between her and Bill Clinton, which is between them, she behaved in an incredibly courageous steadfast manner to try not to give up secrets or to try and it's not like she went public and and he clearly was a person in a massive position of power and if the same thing happened now we'd look at it really differently i am really enjoying it but it's far more kind of woolly than the first series and i think it's far less obvious where villainy lies and how serious villainy is i highly recommend it it's slow burn the other audio series I've been listening to, which is fully produced, is British. It's called Folk on Foot. It's very different. And it's a series by Matthew Bannister, who used to be big at the BBC. In fact, he used to, years ago, run Radio 1. And it's like a rambling through nature show. Each week, he rambles through a different piece of nature with a different famous folk musician and they talk about that folk musician's life and career and they talk about their relation to this particular place and it is really good but I am already getting annoyed with it and it's 
interesting how impatient I am with the full production style, even though when I'm listening to Slow Burn and it's got this full, very professional radio production style, I'm much more patient with it. I'll give it loads of time. But with Folk on Foot, uh, people who listen to Radio 4 may know Claire Balding's series Ramblings. It's a bit like he's stolen that format, added a folk musician in, and it's a little bit annoying. And I'm not quite sure why. I really love the musicians. They're doing that very BBC documentary thing of playing little excerpts of the music instead of like just going, all right, you're a folk musician. We're in this craggy corner of the wild. Sing a fucking song all the way through. Let's hear it which would be the kind of more pure podcasty way of doing it and instead it's kind of overproduced maybe it isn't maybe that's just me and maybe also I've got a load of kind of bitterness and complex emotions about the folk world that makes me a bit biased about it I am really enjoying it I would recommend it so I shouldn't be so critical folk on foot and it's uh, Matthew Bannister and you'll find it wherever you listening to this podcast awesome <laughs> I just w- waffled off like 25 but minutes. then this is where we put the music in. What are you reading for? 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 This bank holiday weekend, refer. didn't you, like, go off screen? Yes, I did go off screen. <laughs> Mostly because I was getting into one of those loops. I don't know if you do, dear listener. Do you get into a loop where you're just like desperately going through all your social media things, waiting for somebody to react to what you've just done? And I just thought, what am I doing? I'm wasting my time. So I challenged myself to read a book. I used to read a book in a day. I could do that if it was a good book. Read a book in a day. I thought that I was getting behind on my reading in order for this podcast to make some sense. So I just decided, switched off my phone, switched off my computer, didn't go on the internet at all and um, read a book in a day. I read The Monk of Mocha by Dave Eggers, which Chris has been recommending to me for some time. And that's another recommendation that I got from Jim Bob. Oh, well, Jim, thanks very much. Because it was a right romp. Dave Eggers, as you may know, is a master storyteller. He took a true story of a guy that, a Yemeni-American... Yemeni American is like lemony, lemony Yemeni American, right? <sighs> this Yemeni American who's a doorman, he finds out that Yemen was the place where coffee was first invented. And so he gets to be in his bonnet about finding out about coffee, finding out about the means of production, going to Yemen. Well, I won't spoil it for you, but certainly the way that Dave Eggers tells a story is really evocative he makes it really easy to read and makes you fall in love with the characters and it's a true story and not many people can do that so I found it really moving and exciting I love a story about immigrants making it big there was a book I read last year that was basically a non-story that Oprah had recommended so I was really disappointed Oprah if you're listening that it wasn't a very good story about an immigrant in America. But this one really was. And I love a true story as well. I'm right, really into biographies. Anyway, because everybody around me is obsessed with coffee. Sorry. Me, I like tea. I can't really drink coffee. To know it gets a bit technical about 
actual growing coffee and all sorts, which I didn't find interesting. What I found interesting was the relationships between all the characters and people. Uh, made me want to actually find out what he looked like and how he had this gift of the gab as well that because of the way that he'd grown up on the streets of San Francisco. So anybody who knows any of those cities also would be intrigued by his rise to fame and glory. Dave Eggers is the inspiration behind... Um, because he's such a successful author, he started a charity for kids in deprived areas to learn how to read and write creative write. One in New York called the Monster Supply Store, and that was the inspiration for the Ministry of Stories in London and the Little Green Pig in Brighton. This week I've been reading a book called Twitter and Tear Gas by Zenep Tufeki. It was recommended to me by our friend Manx Steph, uh, Steph Paws, who's currently on a boat somewhere, isn't he, uh, between yeah. Sweden and Finland because he likes going on long sailing trips with his father. Hello, Steph. We love you. Steph recommended Twitter and Tear Gas, and the book is subtitled The Power and Fragility of Networked Protest. And it's published by Yale University Press. And from all that information, you can probably gather it's quite an academic work. It's got that kind of hint of being a, a dissertation or a thesis that's been published. I mean, it's not quite like that. It is readable. But uh, it's a fantastic account of how social media and the protest movements, particularly from the Arab Spring onwards, are interrelated, how one benefits the other and also how one can trip up the other. It's pretty up to date. It came out last year. Obviously, things are changing so fast in that area right now it misses out on stuff, but that doesn't mean the underlying arguments it contains are out of date. So if you're interested in the way that worldwide, particularly outside the UK and the US, uh, social media is driving and challenging protest movements, it's a great book. Uh, I'm learning a lot from it. Disenchantment, I've been watching on Netflix. It's from the makers of The Simpsons. It's a sort of Game of Thrones-y a story about a princess but she's a very bad princess and she's got an elf friend and she's possessed by a demon the female characters in it are not very well drawn out it's kind of like a blokey princess i couldn't work out what it was that i didn't like about it but it may be that they're all a bit charmless and nobody really to fall in love with yet which like if you love the simpsons you'll know that there are lots of lovable characters in the simpsons but they're all kind of a bit sad whereas in this one I think everyone's trying too hard, but for some reason I can't stop watching it. It's like a soap, it's got me hooked. The whole thing looks beautifully drawn. It might actually get better. It's not laugh out loud. I'm not laughing at all, in fact, <laughs> through it. But I think it might not be meant to be funny. I don't know. I really don't know. It's an odd little thing. It's not because necessarily the female characters aren't very well drawn. It's not like adventure time at all there isn't a coherence to it <laughs> like there isn't a proper world i don't really understand but i just keep watching it i don't know why don't you think that matt groaning when he started out he had one idea and he had it first and that was the simpsons and because he got there first and it was a great idea and he had a lot of empathy with that original family because it's an all-american family it had been portrayed a million times before in filmed terms you know, from the Waltons to the Cosby show, you know, it's already there, it's an archetype. And he has the idea to make it a cartoon first. 
does it on the Tracy Armand show, then it becomes a big cartoon. He's ahead of everyone else. Once it's brilliant, it's because it's been successful and they've got a team of writers and people making it beautiful. We're in a totally different time now. Like, we have adventure time. If you want an adult comedy that's properly edgy and really bleak and intelligent, we've got Rick and Morty. We've got oh, yeah. Anna Hundred More, Bojack. We don't watch it, but Bojack Horseman. It felt like none of those other things have happened. I mean, maybe it's supposed to be a Game of Thrones-esque thing like Star Trek and um, Futurama. It's like that, isn't it? But it's not even really stretching it that far. It's just not very funny. I don't know. There's bits of it that are references to bloody Monty Python in it, which is just... I mean, it's okay, but this is sometimes what I like to watch is something that is like a 5 out of (laughs) 10. Because I don't have to think too much and I'm not really laughing hard. They think that they can sit in the shoes of a woman and not get it right. And this particular one, I think what I'm missing from it is that there's no female character in there that is actually talking to the main female character. There's no real flesh around it. I don't know what I'm saying. So she's a strong, flawed female lead. But she's still totally vulnerable to what she really wants is her dad's love, even though he's the biggest fucking ignoramus ever. And she doesn't have any female friends. No, she's surrounded by male friends, including one who's basically perving on her the whole time. And she's like a bit confused about whether she likes him. I suspect there's no female writers at all. So there was something recently, a long thread on Tumblr around a male writer writing for a female lead and it's certainly no Bridget Jones it's certainly no expose it's actually completely wrong everything from what women are like when they're on their own to what they wear to what physically happens to them every month it was bizarre bizarre the things that were happening I can't even I can't even tell you what film it is because I'm not even going to give it any air time how is this even happening 50% of the world are women so if you want to know what women are really like then get one in the room to help you write your thing. The funny thing is, even as we were watching this, the real thing that most moved me this week was Michaela Cole, the writer who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, who wrote and starred in Chewing Gum and is now going on to a stellar career in TV writing and acting. She did the McTaggart Lecture at Edinburgh Television Festival. Now that is the keynote, that's like the keynote lecture. So that's a very high profile forum to speak to the entire TV industry and she smashed them a new one out of the park. It was incredible. And that point that you just made, it was one of her key points is, let us in the room, let the misfits in the room. And funnily enough, I didn't make it my thing of the week because I'm a white middle-aged bloke and I felt like talking enthusiastically about it, I'm gonna miss some points in it. It was incredibly powerful. She made me cry. She talked about sexual assaults that happened to her She challenged the TV industry directly to their faces about who they get in the room, how quickly they will try and get someone to bring a co-writer on if everything isn't perfect, if they aren't one of their usual kind of writers. All of that stuff. I even feel kind of awkward talking about it that I'll get something wrong. And then to be watching that portrayal of a woman in that cartoon that was clearly like it paid lip service to writing a woman in the lead role who is kind of powerful and flawed and interesting but it got everything around her wrong. She's still, I'm talking about the cartoon again now. What's it called? Disenchantment. Yeah, it's like that trope of what blokes or certain blokes think their perfect woman should be. Like 
can drink hard and is a bit crazy and like also I don't even know how old she's supposed to be I think she's supposed to be a teenager they talk they refer to her and then they talk about her getting married and then there's like it's just bizarre if you want a proper princess then you've got Moana and you've got the girls out of Frozen they're really good princesses and even well Princess Bubblegum and Princess Bubblegum but my favourite Disney princess is Letitia Wright's character in Black Panther is my favourite Disney princess. Princess Shuri. Is that her name? Yeah, from Black Panther. Not Pink Panther, Black Panther. Although Pink Panther would be a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, it's <only> words. <laughs> okay, I think we're done. Okay. Uh, I definitely still I definitely still need to plug my event. On Thursday the 13th of September at the Marlborough Theatre in Brighton, I'm having a farewell party for my late night folk radio show Midnight Campfire, which has been cancelled because the radio station died, which we talked about in the first week we were here. I've got a wonderful singer-songwriter over from Portland, Oregon called Olivia Aubrey. She's going to be performing. I've got a brilliant singer over from Southsea, not quite so far, Elle Morgan. She's coming over to perform as well. I've got a great local singer called Lewis McHale opening up. So it's three live artists. I'm going to be DJing and hosting and generally messing around in the beautiful little Marlborough Theatre. It's pretty intimate. There'll only be 40 or 50 people there and it's going to be a really lovely evening. You can find tickets at facebook.com slash midnightcampfire. That's facebook.com slash midnightcampfire. Please come along. I just want to say thank you to the Brighton Independent for running a lovely story about all the five speakers that I've got at the She Says Brighton event on the 14th of September. And we've got lots of students coming as well to that. So I'm kind of hoping it's going to be a really good mix of people in the audience. Please like and subscribe our podcast. Thanks very much for listening. And we've got a Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash refigurepod. We've got an Instagram, Refigure UK. Excellent. Lovely to talk to you. Talk to you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.